together um, and to, to, to be able to move forward kind of as a unified whole. So if, if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to just listen to that sermon since these are kind of two parts to a whole. But like I said, we want to have very good reasons for why we do what we do and why we're here. Um, in fact, we want to have biblical reasons that, that fit with God's mission for us rather than trying to uh, blaze a trail that veers away from what he's called us to. Our statement says, we exist to glorify God by maturing and multiplying disciples who enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ for the joy of all peoples. So we're here on this earth as God's creation and as a church to bring glory to God and, and our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, by doing what Jesus commissioned to us to do, which is maturing and multiplying disciples. So that's the mission that we're starting out on. We're embarking on that together with the hope that these disciples that are getting matured and multiplied will enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ for the joy of all peoples. So we're gonna go ahead and just jump in this morning to that second half of the mission statement. First, this description of disciples who enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ. So first we need to talk about what it is we're setting out to enjoy, declare, and display. So we're gonna do this a little bit backwards. We're gonna start with the good news of Jesus Christ. For, for most of us, it might seem like a no-brainer, but we want to be explicit and clear that we're not, we're not just here to have a good time over everything, over anything and everything. We're not just here to proclaim um, good stuff. We are here to proclaim a particular message that has been handed down to us from the apostles and the prophets, which is the gospel of Jesus. So what is the good news? And the answer to that question, contrary to popular belief, is not just found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. The good news of Jesus is found throughout our whole Bibles. It starts in Genesis and carries on until it, it ends in Revelation. But just because it's found in the whole Bible doesn't answer the question, okay, what is the message? What is the thing that we're to set out enjoying and declaring and displaying? You find a, a summary in Greg Gilbert's book, What is the Gospel? He, he gives us a pretty clear answer. The gospel is, in a, in a basic form, God the righteous creator. This is the one who made us, the one whom we are accountable to. Man, the sinner, what's the problem that we're all experiencing, that we've all uh, been subject to. Then Christ the Savior, what's God's solution to this whole ordeal? And then responding in repentance and faith is how we get included into that solution. And then lastly, the kingdom. That's the ongoing good news, the fact that we get to be a part of a kingdom that will last forever under Jesus' rule. So that might seem a little, a, a little too simplistic, but it, at the very least, this is, this is the message of hope that we're bringing to people, that God who has made us and whom we have rebelled against has sent us Jesus Christ, the Savior. And our, the call to us is to respond in repentance and faith to be a part of his kingdom. That's the story that the Bible is telling, and God graciously gives parts of Scripture that summarize this good news for us. You, you probably recognize, whether you've been in church for a long time or not, John 3.16. This is one of those kind of summary statements. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In other words, God loved the world. A broken and rebellious humanity of whom you and I are a part. And he loved it with such a deep love that he didn't pull the plug. Instead, he sent us his best. He sent his only son, Jesus. And whenever the Bible says sent his son, take a little bit of a closer look because sending means that he was sent with a purpose. That purpose involved the son of God becoming a helpless child, just like you and I were once. 
miraculously conceived and born to a virgin named Mary in a stall made for livestock. He grew up just like you and I did. He performed miracles and signs, though, that indicated that this was God living among us, God with us, Emmanuel, though he was a man just like us. And he lived with such a resolved obedience and love for God that he remained true to God's law, which we're all required to keep but are completely unable and unwilling to do. And then when the right time came, he did what he had been sent to do, to die on a cross like a criminal to save us, the criminals. And he did so by offering all that he had to offer, his life, his body, his glory, his perfectly obedient record for you and me. And then he was buried in a tomb and lay dead for three days. Then Jesus went on accomplishing what he was sent to do as he rose from the dead, walked out of his own tomb, not just as a man who was alive, but as the king over death and over all things who is never to die again to show his authority over all powers and to show the Father's approval of what happened. Jesus ascended into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God where he now sits, never to taste death again. So God sent his own son. That's what he sent him to do. And that's what he has done. And his power is so great. His love for us is so trustworthy His sacrifice is so legitimate that whoever, whoever on this earth, whoever young and old, poor or rich, sick or healthy, great or small, man or woman, whoever believes in this Jesus will not perish like we all would if God judged our sins. But instead, they'll have eternal life. Church, isn't this the good news that we have believed? And if you haven't staked your life on this, believe today. Trust this Jesus who was sent long before you were born, but who can and will save you if you trust in him. John 3.16 is a beautiful way that this news of Jesus is kind of encapsulated for us. But remember that there's There's so much more to this good news than just single verses in scripture. If you want more of the good news, if you want to expose yourself to the the picture of the mercy of God, his relentless love for his chosen people, read about it in David, the shepherd boy, being anointed as king and conquering Goliath. Look for the good news in Noah escaping the judgment of the flood as a persecutor as a, as a precursor to our escape of judgment through Christ's death. Listen for the good news in the constant mercy of God towards wayward Israel. All of that, all of scripture has been breathed out by God and it is a part of this story, this fabric of a message about Jesus Christ. That's why we don't wanna discredit portions of scripture and, and elevate others as, as if they are Uh, more inspired than the others. This is a message that's not so much a formula, but a story. So when we say we enjoy, declare, and display the good news, we want to enjoy, declare, and display that message in its fullness and to grow in doing so more and more. So now that we know what the gospel is, I want to take a look at how we enjoy it. You'll never hear the Bible say, enjoy the gospel, enjoy the good news. So should that concern us, that this is a part of our mission statement to enjoy the good news of Jesus Christ? Or rather, should we take note that the term good news implies, like William Tyndale says, that a person's heart is made glad such that he or she would sing and dance and leap for joy. The good news is such that it would cause us to do that. Here's one way scripture indicates that this enjoyment is possible. In fact, it's part and parcel to believing in Jesus. You enter and become a part of the kingdom of God when you trust in Christ as told to you in the good news. 
And there's a reason why Jesus himself compares the kingdom of God to a treasure that's hidden in a field and a pearl of great price that a merchant comes upon. Because what happens is when you find the kingdom of God, when you find the door, as Jesus says, I am the door to the fold, when you find out that there's a way for you to be a part of God's solution to your greatest problem, you are in such shock and awe that everything pales in comparison to the worth of what you've just found. You quite literally treasure what the Spirit has brought you to discover. You take drastic actions to make sure it's yours just because it's that valuable to you. David in Psalm 63 talks about the love of God towards him like this. Because your steadfast love, which reading as believers now we know that God's steadfast love was shown and proven to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So your steadfast love shown to us is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. That satisfaction, that, that uh, thirst quenched by the living water of Jesus Christ is, a, is an example of this brings us joy. It, we, we have no need to look elsewhere. We are uh, filled like we've just had this full meal. We, we are satisfied and at peace about what has been shown to us and what we've believed. Paul tells us about how he was changed by Jesus on the Damascus Road numerous times, and I don't think that's a formality, or, or even the times when he explodes in praise in his letters, that his, his experience of the good news was not lifeless. His experience of the good news was such that, I'm gonna tell you how this happened to me multiple times. I'm gonna explode in praise because this, you, you, you have no idea how significant this is and how, how much I needed Christ on the path that I was on and the fact that he changed the hardest man that you could ever expect to be changed. That's, that's kind of where Paul's at. He, knowing Jesus was deeply meaningful to him and all the while we can ask the question, is Jesus deeply meaningful to me? Is his, is his good news such that I would sing like David, such that I would be join the, the cloud of witnesses, the Christians throughout the ages who write songs about what he's done, who sing those songs for generations, who take moments to rejoice when we're struck again with the realization that we have deserved none of the grace that the Almighty God has shown us in Jesus. We yearn that enjoyment looks like yearning for him to return to us. We love the promises that God gives us, like life-giving food for famished souls that keep us going. We cherish the fact that he hears our cries and then he cries out on our behalf, ever interceding for us. We're relieved, we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit whom he sent to us and whom he has made to dwell in us. So friends, do you... Do you enjoy this good news? When I think of enjoyment, I think of, okay, uh, I'll use an illustration from little Eleanor. Um, she's potty training right now. When, when she does a great job, when, she, when she's doing this on her own, we give her a little, a little treat to, to say, great job, you're doing great, keep going. I've noticed that when she gets a hard candy, uh, she'll suck it a little bit, then she carries it around with her. Um, and then eventually, she puts it in enough times to where it goes away. So there it is, it's gone. But she makes it last, I give her credit, about three times as long as it probably should last. So that to me is, she's savoring. I, I don't want this to go away. I, this is so precious to me and so good that, that I'll do whatever it takes to make it as, last as long as it possibly can. And that to me is, is part and parcel to our relationship with Christ the fact that this good news reached our ears is a miracle in and of itself. But whether or not we are resting in 
the, the, the wonder that that has happened to us, that, that we've been brought from death to life, is kind of, is, is kind of reflected in whether we're savoring it. Are we enjoying it? Are we, uh, has it ever put a smile on your face? And that might sound cheap, but that's, that's not cheap because we know that certain things will put a smile on our face. And there's reasons for those certain things bringing us joy. So is the fact that Jesus has come to you, that God did send his son for you, does, would that bring a smile to your face? Would, would it be something that you would reflect as good? This is good news for me. I love what the line that we sang earlier, may I never lose the wonder, oh, the wonder of your mercy. If we're honest, though, we, we do lose that wonder often, frequently. We want to be a people who enjoys what is supremely meaningful to us. I think we'd be really quick to say, this is supremely meaningful to me. But we want to be a people who matures and multiplies disciples and are disciples who, who love this good news, who rejoice in it. We want to show that it's worth it. We mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, this, this celebration gathering is called such because we love this news. We have baptisms and they're exciting to us because we enjoy seeing what Jesus has done for us and in us. The Lord's Supper becomes spiritually nourishing to us because we're brought face to face with the fact that our debt is paid and our Savior is alive. So, our enjoyment of the good news spills over to how, even how we think about other people in this church. I wanna see, I wanna see so-and-so thrive in what the good news means for them, even in the midst of the, their sorrow. I, I wanna see the one who is just uh, wrapped in depression to be brought up out by the power of Christ, healed in mind and body. I wanna see and pray to that end. I wanna see the power of Christ manifested in healing. I want to see the wanderer that Dan was praying for earlier brought back, which only, only the power of Christ and the pursuit of the Holy Spirit can do. So if we're enjoying the good news, it's reflected in things like that. Things like I want to model for my kids that it's as if, it's as if I would wilt and shrivel if I didn't have this life-giving news. And then I find purpose in God's mission. So I haven't directly answered the question, how do we go about enjoying the good news? Well, you, you try to answer that question first. How have you grown in the past in enjoying the good news, enjoying the Savior who has brought to you in the good news? How have you grown in that in the past? Um, just a few, a few examples, there's countless, but one of the ways we enjoy the good news is we invite opportunities to recall it. When we have people sharing testimony from this pulpit or our stories of sovereign grace, we invite, we, tell me again, tell me how this happened to you. I want to hear it. I want to know. We also experience it, uh, mutual confession and forgiveness. That's, that's been for, for for me, one of the clearest expressions of the gospel has done something because I or someone else has made a confession and it was met not with scorn or not with just forget you, it was met with forgiveness. That's only made possible in Christ. We also sing it. We sing about what we enjoy. So we sing the gospel. And then we also, we wanna strive and, and take part in retelling the gospel to others, the good news that we treasure and, and hold dear to us. Speaking of retelling, we want, we want to mature and multiply disciples who also declare this good news. Whether or not we declare the good news and then it makes it up out of our hearts and past our lips in a lot of ways depends on whether we're enjoying and depending on Christ. We declare because we have known the worth of Jesus. We wanna see dead people raised to life. Remember that picture last week of 
people drowning in this angry sea. We go to them, we make every effort to rescue them by telling them the truth about themselves, about God and about his rescue plan. Beyond that, beyond just people who have never heard of Christ, we wanna see also our brothers and sisters built up and sustained by us proclaiming God's word to them in fitting ways. And our hope is that new and longtime Christians in this church will declare the good news increasingly, more freely, both to one another and to those who have never heard this before. Paul speaks often about the way in which he declares the good news to the church, and to churches that he's writing to and to unbelievers. In Acts 20, he says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's reminder back to the gospel is not just its nutshell forms, though those are just God's grace to give us a summary. The whole counsel of God involves his good news. And then he says in another place, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways in preaching the gospel. We refuse to like manipulate, practice cunning, tamper with God's word, make it fit our agenda. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So evangelism is one way of doing this, declaring. It's sharing the good news. In other words, if you've not heard that word before or you haven't heard it described, evangelism is good newsing with someone. You have the news which they need to hear. It's good news for their sin, good news for their souls, good news for their bodies, good news for their broken world, their certain judgment, their separation from God and their lostness. And before we get talking to, about evangelism too far, I have, to, I have to be frank with you that I'm, I'm a bit, been in the church a long time since I was young, and I'm, I'm kind of over this mentality that says for us personally and for us as a church, the best way to get us to evangelize is to guilt trip ourselves into sharing the gospel. If we, feel, if we make ourselves feel guilty enough, maybe eventually it's gonna get out. I've done it to myself, I've done it to others. Share the gospel or else. Don't you have a heart? Why won't you just broach that subject with that person or, or those people? I think, I think that that's a playground for the evil one to condemn. And I don't think we need that. I don't think we need to stay there. I'll explain that in just a second because I think scripture Scripture gives us more compelling reasons to share the gospel than that. So how can we talk about sharing the gospel, admitting that it's difficult, relearning the fact that God is the one who draws people to himself, not us, and that we are here to proclaim a message that we deeply, deeply love and rejoice in to the point where it's harder not to share the gospel and such that we would go to someone and have a conversation that's personal, open to dialogue, patient, spirit-filled, prayerful, but also bold and clear about this God who sent his son to die for their sins and give eternal life to all who believe in him. Because, like I, like I was saying, without guilt tripping, with giving us proper reasons, the Bible is clear, like we were saying last week, that the stakes are high that life and death lie in our willingness to proclaim this news. That's, that's serious, it's significant. It doesn't give me the option to, let me just try to fade, like I'll, I'll take part in this, but uh, not be vocal about it and, and however the Lord has kind of fit me to be vocal about it. Um, because in Romans 10, when Paul's speaking of the Jews, he's writing to a Gentile church, he's speaking of the Jews who, it would have been easy for the Gentiles to say, wow, they, they missed the boat. Jesus came, he was their Messiah. Paul helped proclaim him to us. I, I feel bad for them. But he's saying to the Christians in Rome, how then will they, the Jews, or 
in our case, the people around us, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, speaking of the Jews, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? The word of Christ, carried to individuals like the precious thing that it is by us. All you have to do is consider, who brought this to me? Somebody did. Somebody carried it to me. Somebody let me hear it over and over again even, or once. Somebody handed me something. Somebody took, pulled me aside. You might read Paul's words and say, but how? How? Where to start? I feel like I have opportunities to share the gospel or those conversations but, but even, even if I feel like I have opportunity, those conversations are getting harder these days or how do I know when to dive in? You're not alone in wondering those things, but I would say start with enjoying the good news yourself, letting a love for others well up in you by the power of the Spirit. And as that happens, we together will aim to make declaring the good news of Jesus the norm, both, both in us personally and in the life of this church. I happened across two really great definitions of evangelism last week that, that just put into perspective what we're doing when we're making efforts to declare the good news. The first is by Timothy Bucher. Evangelism is the compassionate sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ with lost people in the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of bringing them to Christ as Savior and Lord, that they might in turn share him with others. I just, I like how straightforward that is. And that should be one of our goals, to make sharing the gospel a part of the fabric of our life. Not as this formality, but as an overflow of our faith and our enjoyment of Christ himself. Here's another uh, definition, and I like its simplicity. Evangelism is witness. You are bearing witness to Christ, saying, I've seen something. It is one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. And that's just a picture of the humility that we take as we're being dispersed from here on Sundays, as we're at family gatherings, as we're with coworkers. I, I'm, I'm just a beggar who's been shown where the food is. And I want, I want you to come see and, and taste and experience it with me. I know it might not make sense to you. I might, it might be offensive to you, but, but nonetheless, like, I, I've, I've been shown something that's so valuable, and I want, you in, I want you to have a chance to be in on it for the, for the Lord to draw you. We love and enjoy the good news of Jesus to the point where we would declare it, but we must be sure also to be living in a way that confirms and verifies the Savior and the message that we carry. So we display the good news of Jesus Christ. As Jesus' disciples, we are made, yes, to verbally, but also tangibly bear witness to Christ. When I say bear witness, like I was saying, you, to bear witness like, like a witness in, in a courtroom. They've seen something, and they're telling about it. So we're, we're bearing witness like, like Peter says, you've not seen him, but you do love, you love him. And you rejoice with joy inexpressible. You have, you have been shown the glory of Jesus Christ. And you're bearing witness to that. That's what people mean when they talk about like your witness. Don't ruin your witness. Uh, what they mean is don't let your actions undermine the gospel message of sacrificial love and forgiveness and justice. Displaying the good news is us consciously doing things that commend and point to and represent Christ clearly and accurately. If we're acting or speaking or not acting or not speaking in ways that run contrary to what we've been called to as Christians, 
then we're, maybe we're misunderstanding something of that good news itself. So, so I'm not gonna run off a list, but, but th- most of us would say, I know, I notice and I know when someone's life does not match this gospel of grace. Um, the question is, are we just as aware of that in us as we are in others? Are we sensitive to that? Is my life, my life, my choices, how I, use, how I use my time, how I speak, how I don't speak, does it, does it match up? We talked a little bit about that in Philippians. Only, only walk in a manner worthy of the gospel is what Paul says. But James also says something really similar. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, he'll tell you he has faith, but does not have works? He asks the honest question, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister, he uses this example, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, it does not have work, if it does not have works, is dead. It's as if he's repeating the question, what good is that faith? But, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So it's a, it's a stern warning, but what, what James is revealing is that our faith, if, if it's not accompanied by evidence, James asks, can that faith save? Then he gives that example if someone needs food and is poorly clothed and you, you blow by them with well wishes and a gaping hole of no practical help, what good is that faith? It's as good as dead, he says. Faith without a life lived doing what Jesus has commanded us to do, like serving one another humbly in washing feet sort of ways and loving our neighbor, then we really have no right to claim that as faith. Now, We believe that Jesus has saved us apart from anything that we've done. We've not done enough. We could not do enough to win his favor, to get on his good side, so to speak. Instead, we're justified by faith alone. Scripture makes that clear. But if that faith proves to be sterile in the realm of loving God and loving others, that faith rightly gets called into question. Jesus has not given himself for a people who ultimately sit on their hands and want nothing to do with the lost, the poor, the outcast. It's a challenging thing for all of us. He has raised up a people that looks very different than that. In fact, I wanna show you this, uh, turning your Bibles to, to Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two, we're gonna look at um, verses seven through 14. The reason why I wanna show you this is I feel it's, it's important to make sure that we don't leave this by the wayside. Display is not just the, the third or that we wanted to just make it really well-rounded, three, declare, enjoy, declare, display. It's, it is part and parcel to our faith in Christ. It is, it is verification. It is proof that this God whom we've believed and this Jesus whom we love is not impotent. He, it, he is powerful. He is able to do things that, that restore, that communicate love. One of the very reasons Jesus saved you, one of the reasons that he saved you We exist to glorify God. He saved us for that purpose. But within that purpose is so that you would do good in obedience to his commands. Not just doing random things or acts of kindness, but doing the good works that he has prepared for you to do and will enable you to do. I wanna show you this in in Titus. This is Paul saying this to Titus. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent might be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about you or to say about us. 
Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. Why? So that in everything, they may adorn the gospel of Jesus, of our Savior, of God our Savior. So that in everything, they might dress up or make, make beautiful the, the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to instead live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He has made for himself a people who is pure, who is redeemed, and the often forgot reason that they are zealous for good works. We should be characterized by our zeal in obeying God and mercifully doing good to others, just like Jesus was as he noticed beggars, as he healed lepers, as he sat down and ate with tax collectors and sinners. We were made to declare yes and to do so alongside of being zealous for doing good to others, doing justice to those treated unjustly, loving mercy and being merciful to those who lack mercy and patient love. Tim Keller writes this, when a city perceives a church as existing strictly and only for itself and its own members, the preaching of that church will not resonate for outsiders. Now I I pause right there, I hope that nothing in our mission statement says it's just about the people in this room. We do exist to glorify God by maturing disciples. That does include the people in this room, but also multiplying, enjoying, declaring, displaying the good news to the people outside of this church family. So if a city perceives that we're just here for us, don't don't intrude, don't, don't mess this up then the preaching of that church will not resonate with outsiders. But, but if neighbors see, a church, see church members loving their city or loving their neighborhoods through astonishing sacrificial deeds of compassion, they will be much more open to the church's message. Deeds of mercy and justice should be done out of love, not simply as a means to the end of evangelism. And yet, there is no better way for Christians to lay a foundation of, for evangelism. So that's one of the reasons why Jesus has called us to himself. And we want to, as the Spirit helps us to display Christ-like love and justice to this area that we're in. Here's another way that scripture speaks to displaying the gospel and doing good. It's definitely a favorite of mine, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. How can you and I stir one another up, help motivate one another to love people and obey Jesus by doing good? I'll tell you just one clear example that I've been stirred up by many of you. Ever, ever since we knew that the Lord was gonna be taking us to Smithville Road, um, I cannot tell you how many people have come up to me and said, what can we start doing to reach out to this neighborhood? How can we find ways to be inviting people through these doors? How do we even start or get to know people? Or what can we do that would um, just give us a chance to have conversations? So I've heard countless wonderful ideas that have come, uh, whether like ministering to people out of this space or or, um, going out from here. And that's that's just one of the ways that I've I've been stirred by you to love, to good works. Many of us have been stirred by you who foster, by those of you who go far out of your way to feed people, by those of you who have let outsiders into your closest ring of friends or into your own family, by those of you who preach the gospel in prisons and relentlessly help and pursue loved ones who are far from God, by those of you who constantly, constantly intercede in prayer for other people, We've been stirred by those things. So let us 
keep considering how it is that we can stir one another up in those ways. We exist to glorify God by maturing and multiplying disciples who enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ for the joy of all peoples. The joy of all peoples. We already talked about how the gospel brings joy, it brings delight, like someone who has finally found the truest of homes, but that's not just for us or for a person who looks like and talks like this or that. We want all peoples in on this. I just want to take a really quick survey to illustrate, uh, to illustrate this. Let me pick out a few people. I'm just going to pick on some people that are over in this corner. Dan, what town are you from? Where I was born? Yeah. Rookie. Rookie, India. Olga, where were you born? New York City. David, where were you born? Right, Pat, where, where does your family live? Where do they live now? Yeah. Uh, Fairbanks. Fairbanks, Alaska. Chris, where were you born? Covington, Ohio. Covington, Ohio. Okay, this is just a small segment of our church family, but as I look across the room, so we have different parts of the world, different parts of the state, different parts of Dayton, Ohio, and when I, when I spend any time thinking about that, even just our small cross-section of just 100 plus people, can we not just sit and marvel for a moment that the gospel of Jesus Christ that you heard from someone that was delivered to you also reached the ears of people from India, New York, Right, Pat, Alaska, Covington, Ohio. That same message, the same gospel that you love and that you've trusted and that you believe with all your heart. We are all Jesus' church. We are all his bride. And Jesus has set his sights on all people, all nations, all subsets of Dayton's own culture, all languages spoken around this world. God's mission is global. And I want to be a part of that mission. We love that we get to be a part of a family of churches that is looking to plant churches in Italy, the Philippines, Mexico, Bolivia, Brazil, Liberia, Nepal, Australia, Canada, because we want to see the nations coming before the King of glory and worshiping him for all eternity. But wouldn't you admit that our world can shrink so fast to me and my life? I don't have the bandwidth to think about the nations. I don't even know where to start. But this is, this is God's mission. He wants the nations, and we're a little church in Dayton who has the spirit of God living among us to shine a light to those nations in some form. You might, let, you might feel like you have no part in the for, for the joy of all peoples portion of this mission statement. But let me just encourage you, let's take, let's take Mark and Becca Waite as a test case. They were sent out from this church, not from some other church. They were sent out from this church, sent by you two years ago to join up with a small church in a city on the Mediterranean Sea in which there is very little gospel influence. You've, given, you've been giving money to our church, some of which allows Mark and Becca to learn the language full time, serve that church with leadership and care, make strides for the whole country's Christians in translating rich biblical songs into their own language, which they have very few, allowing Mark and Becca to come to the States, Lord willing, in the fall to be refreshed here and at Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference. You've, you've also prayed for God to strengthen them. And friends, as you continue to pray for Mark and Becca, there is unspeakable long-term and even eternal value of your support of them to know that that they're serving in a place where they don't en enjoy uh, gatherings like we get to have with churches in the Dayton area for a conference or things like that. They, there's just not Christians to speak of. Our support of them is a necessary part of the gospel, reaching even just, even just to one person there. Just think about that, one person 
In fact, earlier this year, they baptized a new believer. Is all the effort, all the prayer, all the dollars, all the wondering, all the sending, is it worth it? The answer is yes. It has and will amount to Jesus, whom we love and worship, receiving the glory that he well deserves from people everywhere. I think we'll find ourselves marveling at God's power and his glory the more that we can dig into our role in reaching the nations. You've even helped made it possible this week. One of our pastors just left Ethiopia where he spent a week teaching and encouraging men preparing to be pastors in places in Ethiopia, East Africa for the sake of Jesus' name. And you might say, well, that was, that was Steve, that wasn't me, but you have played a part in that. We're doing this together as a church body. Maybe there, there are some of you who want to be more involved with how we can reach the nations. Maybe you long for a certain group of people to hear about Christ and you would go to them to see to it that they do. Which is why I just asked the question that we can pray towards, which we'll, we'll actually be doing in just a moment here. Um, friends, what else does God have planned for this little church in Dayton? What, what is the work that we set out to do what specific places? I don't, I don't exactly know. I, I find myself, as one of your pastors, a bit confused and in need of the Spirit's direction on who we should be reaching and how. But whatever else God has for us in this, we wanna see his glory spread such that Revelation 7 will come true. Where John says, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. No one could number this group of people from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing where? Before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, saying and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The same thing that we proclaim every Sunday when we gather and we sing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, which is being spoken throughout this world in many places to say, he gets the glory, he is deserving of this multitude of people. We wanna see that come to fruition one day. In fact, that's why we're here. We exist to glorify God by maturing and multiplying disciples who enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus for the joy of all peoples. I hope that statement continues to work its way into our hearts, not just over the course of these, these last two sermons, but as we press on in making this our own, as we continue to do the work of making disciples by the power of the Spirit. And before we take time to enjoy the Lord's Supper, I just wanna... I wasn't sure where to place this in the sermon, but I think, I think it's an expression and an application of what, what we were just talking about um, because none of this can happen. We can't, we can't take a step in pursuing the goal of this mission statement without the power of the Spirit. So we wanna pray for the power of the Spirit, but I wanna kind of take us back a couple of months because, to, to a time when some of you, this, it was the first time that you might have been in this particular room. We had an open house where we kind of walked around, surveyed the building, spent about an hour praying together. And in that prayer time, the Lord, we were just asking, Lord, what, what is it that you want to imprint kind of in this moment for us? What, what is it you want to make clear to this particular church family? And there were several prophetic words shared more than I, I'm gonna share this morning, but there were a couple in particular that there seemed to be a theme, there seemed to be the Lord was pressing something significant. Um, and one of which was uh, Tom Heffernan shared, uh, he shared this picture of a lighthouse which would be illuminating the whole kind of area that, that we're gonna be inhabiting now here, here in, on Smithville. Um, such that that light would go out from this place to the specific people that live here and that our witness to Jesus would be illuminating like this light in a dark place. So that was one picture of, kind of like we were talking about, our witness, our, our, our saying, look, look at what I've seen and that it would be a light to others. And then Ben Forshee shared a picture of uh, this, this arch that served as a gate 
past which uh, the arch being this church family, uh, past which was a vast field of wheat ripe for harvest. And there were a number of other things said about reaching out to the community and what the Lord might do. Um, And I I just wanna mention that we'd be the first to say that we believe with conviction that God's word is our final authority. We weigh and measure everything we hear by that word, including what the Lord brings to us in the form of prophetic words. But, But we also believe with conviction that when the spirit brings prophetic words to us that align with what God is saying in his word, that that we take note of that. We take note of it saying that that's God personally seeking, like like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, to encourage, to build up, and to console us. And it's also a way that God expresses his nearness to us, um, his specific and tailored care for us as a church and that he is in some manner speaking to us. So this is our fourth Sunday in in this neighborhood officially, and those particular prophetic words have yet to take on full form, but I wanted to remind us of those as we move ahead, knowing that God is with us as we hope to be both a light and a gateway to God saving people through this church body's witness. Because God does say in his word, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give, hearkening back to display, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And also, scripture says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, what should we do? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So even though that particular prayer time at the open house was focused on us being in Dayton, the field is much bigger than that. Jesus says that this church is the part of the light of the world, not just Dayton. But he calls us to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, which is what I want to do right now before we take the Lord's Supper together. I know it's warm in here, but it's worth taking a few minutes to say, Lord, we need, we need you to send us out. We need you to provide people to be sent out from this church because you're the Lord of the harvest and the harvest is there. So we want to pray to that end. Ask the Spirit, enable us, uh, give us boldness, give us a keen eye for people around us so that we might love them, we might bring this gospel to them.